You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. We invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Have you ever wondered where Harvest Bible Chapel got its name? The passage that you're about to read is one of the reasons why we like to use the term harvest, because that's what Jesus is seeking this morning. He's seeking a harvest, but long before the harvest, there is something else that must happen. There's a lot of planting and a lot of plowing and a lot of cultivating that has to happen. Um, On Friday night, uh, I went to the Penn High School football game. It was homecoming, and so at halftime, there were the ceremonies of crowning the queen and the king, and as the biographies of those potential kings and queens were read, they let us know what they were going to be pursuing as far as a career or what they were going to be studying in school. And so they said, this person's going to be pursuing a degree in nursing and this person's going to be pursuing a career in in engineering. And, And as they went through the list, I did not hear anybody say, this person's going to be pursuing a career in agriculture. All the Aggies are down south, I guess. But um, you know what? At the time the Bible was written, agriculture was the most important industry. Now today, if you want to eat something, you just jump in your car and you go to Martin's or McDonald's or whatever and you, you, you get the fruit of somebody else that has planted and plowed and processed all that for you. But in biblical terms, and every time we come to church, do you know what's happening? There is a planting and a plowing and a cultivating And what we long to see and what Jesus longs to see in every worship service is the harvest. And if there's going to be a harvest, there's going to have to be a seed that's planted, can you guess my next word? Deeper. And so we've been in this series talking about how we want to go deeper. Our church is getting bigger. Some of us are getting bigger. That doesn't mean we're getting deeper. And so we're going to be intentional this year about going deeper. And so we talked about how that uh, the Scripture calls us for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith so that we can know the height and the width and the length and the depth of the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going after. And so we talked about how we need to be deeper in the Word. Last week we talked about going deeper in the church. If you're just kind of on the fringes of the church, come on in to the deep end. No more toe dipping in church. Come on. The water's safe. Come on in. Get a little deeper in the church. And the deeper you go in relationship with Christ, the more you'll have a desire to go deeper in relationship to His body, the church. And so this morning we're going to look at one more concept related to going deeper and this is about the word going deeper into us and so let's begin reading here in Mark chapter 4 Jesus is going to tell us a parable let's begin reading in verse 2 and he Jesus was teaching them many things in parables you know what a parable is it's a story it's an analogy it's an illustration the word parable means to lay alongside of And so you're laying one thing alongside of another thing so that you can make comparisons between the two things. And Jesus is going to lay aside a spiritual truth, a natural reality. The natural reality is seed sowing, harvesting, planting. And the truth is the response of the human heart 
to Jesus so that there would be fruitfulness in a person's life. And so he, he's teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, verse 2, in his teaching, he said to them, verse 3, listen. Now, if you're a good mom, you use that word regularly in your, in your home, right? There's some important truth that the kids need to understand. And so this whole parable starts out with Jesus saying, listen, there's important truth coming. He says, behold, a sower went out to sow. And thus the parable begins. He's laying alongside this spiritual reality, an agricultural story, a a parallel. And so he talks about a sower who went out to sow. Now, in this story, we're going to have to discover the answer to three questions. The first question is this, who is the sower? Secondly, what is the seed? Thirdly, what is the soil? And so he goes on to tell the story, beginning in verse 4. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. You see, going deeper has always been an issue. It had no depth of soil. It needed to go deeper. Verse 6, And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew, and it choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verse 8, And other seed fell into good soil, and produced grain growing up, and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said... He who has ears, how many of you have ears this morning? Aren't you glad you got something right this morning? I mean, the ensemble might not have come together, but I bet you brought your ears. He who has ears, what does it say? Ears to hear, let him hear. The whole story starts with the word listen, and the story ends with the word hear. Do you think Jesus is trying to communicate something? Now, you may have physical ears, But the question is, do you have spiritual ears to hear the truth of what Jesus is trying to convey? Now, does everybody understand all the analogies, all the parallels in the story? Apparently, the disciples didn't understand it either, because down in verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? And the disciple says, no, we do not understand this parable. And he says, how then will you understand all the parables? Jesus is saying, if you don't get this one, you got no chance of getting the other ones right. This truth is so important, it unlocks the meaning of so much other scriptures. You've got to get this one right. Sirius is a heart attack. You've got to understand the truth in this story. And if at the end of this story you can't say yes and amen... Everything else in Scripture is going to be locked for you. And so he goes on to describe the story, and we're going to find the answers to these three questions. First of all, what is the sower? Or more appropriately, who is the sower? And the Bible tells us in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And so he begins to explain. The sower simply is Jesus. Jesus is 
is sowing seed because he wants a harvest. And he is still sowing seed. What is happening right now in this service is Jesus Christ throwing out, scattering seed. Jesus is the sower. Do you know who else is the sower? Those of us who have come into relationship with Jesus Christ and we're followers of Jesus Christ and the only reason he has left us on this planet is to cooperate with him in scattering the seed. God makes his appeal through us to a world who has yet to hear. And this morning, if you've not yet come into relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants to produce a harvest in you. Jesus is trying to get the seed deep inside your heart. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've got that box checked and you love Jesus, you've surrendered to Jesus, you're a Christ follower, God is still sowing seed. He's still scattering seed. Every time the word is spoken, God's truth is to be planted deep within my heart and there is to be a response that produces life. Jesus is the sower. Here's the Next question that we've got to ask, what is this seed? He tells us that in verse 14. The sower sows the word. Now that word, word, is a summary word for a lot of words. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. When we share the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, when we share the truth that God is holy and man is sinful and Christ is a Savior and we must repent and believe, that is the capsulization of the words of the gospel that the world desperately needs to hear. Back in the day, when a sower was scattering seed, they used a word for that process. Do you know what it was? Broadcasting. Long before there was radio and television, when Farmer Brown went out to the field to scatter the seed, he was broadcasting. And you, as a sower, are to be broadcasting the good news of Jesus Christ. And the word that we are to share has power. It has life. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, the scripture says, you have been born again. How many of you are in that category? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. You're born again. Did that happen? Do you know how that happened? It happened, according to this verse, not because of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. You see, God compares His Word to seed. It is a power-packed, life-giving source that is to be planted deep within us. And for those of us that broadcast that seed, scatter that seed, what we need to understand is we never know the condition of the soil upon which the seed lands. Our our confidence is is not in our ability to throw the seed. Our confidence is not in the soil. Our confidence is in the seed, in the Word of God. I recently was meeting with a pastor, and we were talking about what was going on in our churches like pastors would do, and he was a little frustrated because his church wasn't growing, and and we kind of talked about some things. And 
we ask him, well, what, what, what's happening in your church? He's like, well, we've made a lot of changes. We've went to church growth conferences and we've read church growth books and, and we've done everything that the church growth experts tell us to do to grow our church. And we ask, what is that? He said, you know, we went from hymns to choruses and we got a pray, contemporary praise band now and we went from Sunday school to small groups. And he was shocked that that didn't produce life in his church. That's not the life-giving power in a church. It's not the life-giving power in your life. These are non-essentials up here. Now, there are some things that can happen when we do some things right in church. We try to get things right in church, but our confidence is only in the power of the seed. We're not interested in improving our throwing techniques. We're not checking our completion percentage. We're not trying to figure out whether we need to scatter it overhand or underhand or through the leg or around the back. You can change all the throwing techniques you want. It is the confidence that we have in the seed that produces the result. Other people would say, well, maybe you need to improve the seed. I mean, churches are on decline and Christianity is becoming fewer and fewer in response. And so maybe we need to get a genetically altered seed. Maybe we need to change the word. Maybe we need to change the message and make it a little more encouraging. And Don't be so negative all the time. And Don't talk about sin. Just talk about grace. That's genetically altered seed. And it only produces a genetically altered harvest. And as a result of people tampering with the seed, do you know what's happening in churches? Churches are filled with millions and millions of people who have a false assurance in a false conversion because they have believed a false gospel. May it never be. We can't tamper with the seed and we can't get cute and clever about how we throw it the word is what has power to change a life and our responsibility is to get it right and to get it out of the seed bag those of us that are committed to sharing this good news of Jesus Christ and so we know what the who the sower is who's the sower and on a secondary level who is that that's us. And what is the seed? The word, according to verse 14, that leaves us with one more question. What is the soil? And simply put, as we read this parable, we understand that the soil is simply the human heart. Your heart this morning is dirt. Aren't you glad you came to church for an encouraging word from the pastor, right? I'm nothing but a big bag of dirt, right? Well, in a sense, my heart is soil. The question is, what kind of soil is it? Do you understand that the human heart, like a field, is lifeless and barren until the seed penetrates the surface and brings a harvest? And so the soil... And the seed were made for one another. This good news of Jesus Christ was prepared to penetrate the soil of your heart. And your heart will never be what God intended, full of life and fruit, until you allow the seed to go deeper where it germinates 
and springs up producing the harvest. And so as we read this story, and we're going to let Jesus explain it for us, we're going to understand there are four different kinds of soil. That means that right now in this auditorium, there are people with four different kinds or conditions of heart. You need to diagnose your heart this morning. You need to find out where am I, what kind of heart do I have in relation to the seed? How deep does the seed go, the seed of God's word go in your heart? And you can tell that based on how your heart responds when the seed is scattered. We're going to see four different responses, and there are four corresponding prayers that we can pray in relation to those four responses. Here's the first one, a surface response. And if you have a surface response to the Word of God, you need to pray this prayer, Lord, soften my heart. We saw in verse 4 that... As this sower sowed, some of the seed fell along the path. And Jesus says the birds came and devoured it. And he's using a parallel. He's laying aside this story. The birds are parallel with something else. So we need to ask the question, what are the birds? Anybody think you know? Say, no, I do not know. That's why I need you to tell me from God's word, what are the birds? Just let your eyes fall down to verse 15. It says, these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And so Jesus uses birds in this story to teach us something about the activity of our arch enemy, Satan. Do you understand that Satan hates the word of God? And right now, as I am scattering this seed, the one job of Satan is to try to prevent that seed from taking root in your heart. Now, as the seed is scattered, this verse tells us some of that seed falls along the path. What is a path? Now, in, in those days, obviously, it was a place where people walked. And many times it was the path that bordered the field where the sowing took place. And so this path would have been something that was trampled upon. <clears throat> it would have been something that was hard packed. It was a hard surface. And of course the analogy is this. Some people have a hard heart. And every time the word of God goes out, when it hits that heart, it bounces off. Can I be honest with you? On Saturdays and Sundays, when we come to this place in the week and I open my Bible and I begin to scatter this seed, I can see the words bouncing off foreheads in this place. I, can, I can't see it literally happening, but I see blank stares and I see people thinking about their pot roast and thinking about their favorite football team and thinking about their algebra exam that they've got coming up next week and you are totally disengaged. And do you know what is happening? As that seed bounces off your heart, Satan immediately comes in and snatches away that which God intended to bring life into your heart. 
And so there is no life and there is no fruit in your heart because of the hardness of your heart. So the question must be asked, how does a heart get hard? When we think about this path here, how does a path get hard? Well, it happens when people step on it. It happens when people travel. It happens when people use your dirt to get to the place they want to go. And maybe somewhere in your history, maybe somebody has stepped on you. Maybe somebody has used you to get to where they're going. And they've left you in the dust. And there are people here that are hardened. And it's very hard for you to trust what anybody else would say to you. It's very hard for you to listen to somebody that would confront your life and say, I think something needs to change because you have a hard heart, because somebody has used you or hurt you. Or there's another category of people here. The reason your heart is hard is because your heart has been trampled by sin and shame and guilt. And you know what's in your past has hardened you so much that for somebody to tell you there's a better future for you, it's very hard for you to believe that because your heart is hard. You need to pray, Lord, soften my heart. It's very hard for you to let anyone inside or very near to you. You know the thing about this path? The path was right next to good soil. And so here you are in church. You are so close to having the soil where the seed could penetrate your heart. And yet if it doesn't soften, it will never produce a result. And so it's very easy for you to become vulnerable to spiritual attack. And Satan right now is whispering in your ear and he's trying to distract you from the word of God. He's trying to diminish the word of God. He's trying to dilute the word of God in your mind right now. He's trying to get you to doubt the word of God or discredit the word of God. And at at best, he's trying to get you to disobey the Word of God. That's what the work of Satan is right now, is to try to steal away that which God intended to bring life in the soil of your heart. That's why Jesus said in verse 9, He who has ears to hear, use them. Let the seed go through the ear gate and into your heart, and let it produce the intended result God wanted it to produce. There's a surface response. Secondly, there is a shallow response to God's Word. Back up in verse 5, we're told that some of that seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up immediately, but it had no depth of soil, so when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root and it withered away. What does that mean? What does that mean? Go down to verse 16 and we're told the, the explanation. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. They have this big emotional response. Maybe they, maybe they cry because they're so happy. Somebody has shared good news. They can be set free. They don't have to live in sin and they don't have to live in shame. And They're so excited. Somebody loves me and I can be forgiven and I can have heaven as my home and I can have peace and purpose in my heart. And somebody responds immediately to that truth. I can remember when um, I was, I think, about eight years old. My family had just moved to a new town. We didn't really know anybody in town, and we didn't go to church 
we weren't a Christian family, but somehow we found ourselves, I think on a Saturday night, in the big football stadium in town, and somebody had come in to do a big citywide evangelistic crusade. As a matter of fact, I remember who it was. It was James Robinson. You know James Robinson? And, uh, and he was in this big football stadium, and everybody in town seemed like they were there. And, and I was eight years old. I didn't have a clue what was going on. I was just trying to endure it, you know. And, and I remember at the end of the message, everybody stood, and a big choir sang, and there was this big gospel invitation. And I felt something as an eight-year-old. I mean, do eight-year-olds feel things? Yeah. Are their emotions kind of like a roller coaster? Yeah. And so I remember I felt something. Something was... Something was attractive about this, and like a m- m- magnet and metal. And I, I noticed my mom and my dad that were sitting there, they started to cry, and they were holding each other. And, ooh, 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 you know, and there's like big emotional spot, of, apparently for 40-year-olds too. And, and so I remember at the end of that time, my dad grabbed my hand, my mom grabbed my hand, and we started walking down to the to the football field and and it seemed like everybody was coming out of the stands and everybody was responding to this big emotional appeal to the gospel. Now I have no doubt that in that moment the seed was scattered and I have no doubt that it took root in many people but can I tell you looking back on that experience it had zero impact on our family. The next day we got up and lived life as if Saturday night never happened before. I didn't meet the Lord. I wasn't converted. My parents weren't converted. We weren't saved. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but it sure sounds like this verse. We immediately received it with joy. Amen. Yes and amen. I love the music. And and maybe you went to youth camp and man, finally leaving the TV and the PlayStation and the cell phone. God, maybe... Maybe some of that seed penetrated your heart and you had some big emotional appeal and maybe somebody said, you want to pray a prayer? And so you prayed what they prayed and you raised a hand and you walked an aisle and you signed a card and you got baptized and you joined a small group and then you went to the training and you began to lead that small group and then that wasn't enough. Maybe you entered ministry. You can do all of that without the seed of the gospel taking root in you because there will be some when the seed is sown that will receive it with joy. But it's only a shallow emotional response. You say, Trent, why do you say that? Because of what Jesus said in verse 17. And they have no root in themselves. And where there is no root, there is no fruit. It says they endure for a while... But when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Do you know some people like this? Do you know some people that used to be seated next to you in church? That used to be in your small group? That used to respond with joy to the word? But now they are nowhere to be found? Their life has no visible evidence that the Word of God has taken root, producing fruit in their lives. Is that you? That there was a shallow response at some point in your life, but you fell away and somehow now you're, you're kind of back. Do you need to examine whether or not you've only had a shallow response to the gospel even as, I hear, even as you, you hear it this morning? How do you reconcile this? 
Now, a lot of people that really don't understand the depths of the Bible message would look at people like that and say, well, you know, they used to be a Christian, but they're not a Christian anymore. They used to have salvation, but they lost it somewhere along the way. And if you just kind of look at it on a surface level, that's kind of where our minds would go. But if you understand the totality of Scripture, you understand that that is an impossibility. It's not that they had salvation and lost it. It's that they never had it to begin with. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 says this, They went out from us because they were not a part of us. If they had been of us, they would not have gone out from us. The totality of Scripture is this, that salvation is entirely a work of God. And what God does, He does permanently. We have to understand salvation is the changing of our legal status before God to be declared legally righteous, legally innocent of all sin. That is a verdict that God does not stand there and change back and forth in heaven based upon your performance. When the root takes hold, the fruit blooms and blossoms. But for some, it rises up quickly. Before it can produce fruit, the sun scorches it. He uses two words, tribulation and persecution. Tribulation is just the trials and the pressures of this life. You get sick. You lose your job. Life's hard. And you think, it is just not worth it to follow Jesus. Not only tribulation, but persecution. Persecution is when you realize you actually have to pay a price for being a, per a Christian. It's not just the popular thing to do, but that you're ridiculed and you are called names because you identify with Jesus. And when you realize you have to pay a price, you say, I don't think I want to pay that price. It's not worth it. That's the way that some people respond with a shallow response. And if that's you this morning, you need to pray, Lord, penetrate my heart. Eastman's Bible Dictionary describes this doctrine that I'm explaining to you. We call it the perseverance of the saints. The fact that once a person truly is converted to Christ, he is, remains a follower of Christ. Eastman's Bible Dictionary defines that doctrine this way. A certain continuance in a state of grace. Once justified and regenerated, the believer can neither totally nor finally fall away. But he will persevere and obtain everlasting life. That's what we believe. The work that God does is a life that only He can produce, and He produces eternal life. Here's a third response, a strangled response to the Word of God. And if that's you, you need to pray this prayer. Lord, would you untangle my heart? Look at verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, but the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. What does that mean? Look down at verse 18. He explains it. Others are the ones that were sown among the thorns, and those who hear the word, verse 19, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And so a good farmer knows 
if you want to produce a harvest, you not only have to love seed, you have to hate weeds. Because they are always growing faster than the good seed, right? And a good farmer has to go in there and pull the weeds out if you want to produce a crop. The same is true for the human heart. Everything that you were involved in this week had the potential of choking out the most important thing in your life, namely a relationship with Jesus and His Word. He mentions three categories. First of all, cares of this world. What do you care about? What did you fill your mind full of? What was it that produced worry, anxiety, and stress? Is it something related to your career? Something related to your portfolio? Something related to your education, your grades, your favorite sports team, media? Or could it be presidential politics? All of it has the potential for choking off the life-giving seed of the Word of God in your life. He mentions the deceitfulness of riches. And I know every one of you said, Skip, that's not me because I'm not rich. Yes, you are. You are part of the richest people on the planet and the richest people who ever have lived at any time on the planet simply because you live in Granger, Indiana or the vicinity. And the deceitfulness of riches has the potential to choke off the word. It's not so much the desire to be rich here. It's just the things that you have that can lead to prosperity. It's interesting. He says that Satan will work to try to eliminate the fruit in your life through persecution. But if he can't get you through persecution, he'll get you through prosperity. He'll allow things to go well for you. Because after all, who needs God when you have money? And oftentimes, it is not until the money disappears or disappoints that you have a new level of appetite for the Word of God. Don't let the deceitfulness of riches. Why do riches deceive? Because riches promise things they can't deliver. It deceives you into thinking, if I had more, I would be less stressed. If I had more money, I would have more security. That is the deceitful lie of riches. Riches promise what God alone can provide. And the evidence that is true is the fact that many of you have more than you've ever had at any time in your life, and you're still stressed out, more stressed out, and you are less secure than you've ever been. That's the deceitfulness of riches. And then he just lumps a big junk drawer thing. He says, and the desire for other things. That's just, that's just the junk drawer of life. It chokes off the word of God. And if that's you, you need to ask God to untangle your heart because the word needs to go deeper. There's one more response. And it is the supernatural response and if that's you, you can pray this, Lord, multiply my fruit. He tells us in verse 8, other seed fell on good soil and it produced good grain, growing up. Don't you wish some people would just grow up? It, you can only grow up when you allow the seed to grow deep. And it says it yielded 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. He explains it in verse 20. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word 
accept it, and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Can you look at your life and see the multiplying effects of the gospel producing things supernaturally that you could never produce on your own? The fruit is mentioned as love. Can you love people that are unlovable? Do you understand that is a supernatural thing you cannot manufacture? Can you have joy in the midst of pain? That's a supernatural response. Love, joy, peace. You can, be, you can have a calm assurance that God has me no matter what's going on in presidential elections or in the economy or what's going on in your marriage and family, a calm assurance, that's a supernatural response. All of these are things that should be multiplying more and more. The deeper you grow, the more fruit you should show. And the great news is this. The deeper you grow, the more fruit you show, the more glory God gets in your life. John 15 verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Do you see the proof that you're a disciple is that you produce much fruit? And he says, the more fruit the more glory goes to God. And so we should be multiplying ourselves and multiplying the life of God in us so that God gets glory and we prove that the root has gone deep. Now can I speak to you as your pastor for a minute? Some of you have only had a shallow, superficial response to everything I've been talking about. If you come to church, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you went to the big city-wide evangelistic crusade. And somehow you are putting your assurance in some emotional experience you've had in the past. Is it any wonder that you don't have assurance of your salvation? You lay your head on the pillow at night and you wonder, am I saved? Am I okay? What if I die in the middle of the night? Am I going to be in heaven with God? Is my sin really forgiven? Jesus said the proof that you are a disciple is the fruit that is evidence in your life. If there is no fruit, it's because there has been no root. And the root needs to go deeper. This morning, which one of those four kinds of soil describes your heart? Are you a genuine follower of Jesus Christ and it's evidenced by what we can see above the surface of your life. For some of you, you've tried to bury it way down deep inside and I just kind of want to be a secret follower of Jesus and what you're saying is, I don't want anybody above the surface to know. Listen, that's not the heart of a genuine believer. We want the world to know. We're to be not only bearers of fruit, we're to be seed sowers multiplying that in the lives of of others. If you don't do that, if you have no heart to do that, if there's no life producing root, this morning you need a supernatural response to these words. 
You need to open up your heart and say, God, penetrate, soften, untangle my heart so that I can see this life-giving fruit in my life. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ that's not about religion. It's not about just going to church. It is a walk with God and a relationship with Jesus Christ that I cannot explain. It's supernatural. If you've never had that, you can have that today. Allow that seed to take root this morning. If you are a believer, but somehow you just kind of skim along the surface and the words preached and you just kind of, mm, yeah, mm, yeah. You need to go deeper. If you come and let other people worship for you, if you just kind of hang out on the edges and you don't want to go deeper, why would you not want your life to give glory to God for all the supernatural results that are happening in your life? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you tonight, this morning, are you absolutely confident, 100%, for sure, that if you died this very moment, you would be accepted into heaven, not because you are good, but because the seed is good and the fruit has been supernatural in your life, you're absolutely certain. You may be here, some, some of you that would say, you know, I think I've fallen away. Well, you need to come back and maybe for the first time have a response to the gospel that's more than surface, more than emotion. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and our pastors are going to be positioned up here and they are here to receive those of you that would like to make a public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to embarrass you in any way. You're not going to stand in front of anyone and say anything. It's just a visible, above-the-surface response to say, you know what? I need to be a real Christian who's planted real deep. If that's never been the case for you, even now, even before we sing, why don't you just slip out of your seat, stand up, step on the few toes next to you. They'll be so excited that you got up, stepped on their toes to come forward and declare your faith in Jesus Christ. You know who you are. There's a guilt in your soul right now. Your seat's hot. You're nervous. You're wondering, how. what should I do? What will they say? Will they embarrass me? We're not going to embarrass you. We've got a new believer's kit we'd love to give to you, share with you some next steps and how you can go even deeper in your walk with God. If you need to move, why don't you come now? For others of you, those of you that are followers of Christ, have you just been skimming along the surface? Are you pursuing a vital, deep, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ? And every time you hear the word, it takes root and it bears more fruit. If that's not you, why don't you tell the Lord, God, I'm so tired of being shallow. I see the life-giving truth of others producing fruit. I want that. I'm going to pray for us now and then we're going to stand and sing and 
When I say amen, those of you that need to come, why don't you come to one of our pastors down front? We'll share with you how you can start a relationship with Jesus that is so much more than shallow, emotional response. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been at work this morning sowing the good seed in our hearts. And Lord, we acknowledge to you that so often our heart gets hard and it bounces off. So often we make ourselves vulnerable to Satan because we're distracted or we doubt or disobey your word. God, this morning we want to come back and open our lives to you, soften our hearts, penetrate our hearts, untangle our hearts so that we can see a supernatural fruit in our lives that can only be explained by your Spirit. God, would you give courage to some that know they need to come? They've heard this truth and they're contemplating right now and I pray that you'd help them overcome their fears or their apprehension about coming. Lord, we want to go deeper together. Make us good seed sowers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. If you need to come, you come right now.